Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 30. We're going to continue the thought from last week. We talked a little bit about rest last week, how that giving is a rest. Church attendance is rest. Serving in God's house is rest. I want to talk to you today about how to, how to rest while you work. How to rest while you work. Proverbs 14 and 30 says this. It says, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you today. I'm asking that over these moments we have together that you would speak to us. I'm so grateful for what you are doing in our church. I'm thankful for what you are doing in the earth. I'm so grateful as I see and watch moves of God happening on college campuses, particularly here in the South at Lee University, at Asbury University. You're doing incredible things. I pray that as you're moving in this day that we would not miss you like so many, many miss you because you didn't come the way we thought you would come. I pray that we would be a church that wouldn't stand back and criticize revival, but we would jump right in the river and we would celebrate what you are doing um, all over the earth and pay close attention to the revival that we are experiencing every week here in our own lives. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. I've been, I've gotten a ton of uh, text messages and, and DMs and things like that asking me uh, my thoughts on, it's so funny how something happens and all of a sudden everybody becomes an expert on on everything and they want to know your opinion and I've, I've stayed away from it uh, given my opinion on social media because I'm not a social media pastor I'm a real pastor like I pastor an actual congregation so <laughs> I don't feel like it's my responsibility to pastor people who have pastors um, who follow me on social media anyhow what I would say about what's happening in particularly in Asbury I love it with everything I've got. And I'm, I'm astounded at the criticism of it. But I'm also not shocked by it because the church has always been the worst enemy of the church. It's never been the world. Darkness has never been our issue because we're the light. We have the light of the world. The church is thriving in nations where it should not be thriving all over the world and sometimes in better ways and more intimate and um, real ways than here in America where we are free to worship God. Um, I'm also, I think it's kind of funny how uh, this, when you go through social media, it, it shows you the day we're living in that Asbury's become the new Santorini. Uh, Santorini, you know, the place where every social media influencer has to go to get their picture taken at that same spot that everybody else has gotten their picture taken so they don't 
you know, have FOMO. Um, I think it's funny when social media influencers travel up there and they get a picture, look at me, here I am. Um, I just say we let those kids worship. Let those kids have their move of God. And we cry out, God, do it here, do it in us. Let's not get caught up like we did in the 80s chasing Benny Hinn all over the country. And uh, let's just, come on, somebody. A relaxed heart, the Bible says here in Proverbs 14, it says it's health to the body. It's health to the body. But envy is rottenness to the bones. What is a sound heart? You see that throughout Scripture. Timothy talks about it, or Paul tells Timothy in his writing. He says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind, sound heart. A sound heart is, in Hebrew, it's the word marpe, M-A-R-P-E, which is from the Hebrew word rapha, that means heal, Jehovah Rapha. Maybe you've heard that term before. Going just a little bit deeper, when you, when you study the word Rapha, you realize that the word Rapha is actually the Hebrew word for relax. <laughs> so when you put it all together, no wonder the Living Bible translates the verse, a relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. And I've been thinking about this just going over this over and over in my head because there's such a contradictory world that I'm living in to the kingdom that I'm a part of. And I asked this question last week. I, I asked this question, how do I live in a world that says you're never done when I'm a part of a kingdom with a king who says it's finished? And I'm invited by that king to come and rest from my work. So is he telling me I need to quit my job? Is he telling me I need to work less hours? Is he telling me I need to quit manual labor and get behind a desk? I, what, is he, what is he saying to me? Do I need to work less hours? Do I need to? And I think if we're not careful, we will limit rest to a day of the week. We will limit it to an idea from the Old Testament instead of a person that we meet and we invite into our lives and invites us into his presence in the New Testament. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he said, come to me all you who are weary and I will give you rest. In other words, Jesus is saying rest is no longer about a day of the week. Rest is a way of life that I'm inviting you into. I'm not asking you to quit your job. I'm asking you to work your job from a place of rest. I'm asking you to work relaxed. I'm asking you to live in a world that's full of chaos and confusion and not have the same anxiety and chaos and confusion operating in your life. That's what I'm asking you. That's what I'm offering you. That's what I'm trying to give you. I, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. If God's intent was to save us from, from having to work, from having to, from having to uh, provide for our families, if God's intention was to keep us from having to, to be a part of all of this, then he would save us. And then, like my dad said, just cock us on the head and take us to heaven. But he doesn't do that because he's got, 
he, he leaves us in the earth to be ambassadors for him so that we can represent what salvation really looks like. Salvation doesn't look like I get removed from all of the trouble. Salvation looks like me taking a nap in the middle of the storm. And the world looking at me like the disciples did Jesus saying, how are you sleeping when the world is falling apart? And I think sometimes one of the things that makes people most frustrated with me is that I don't lose it over the same things they lose it over. They see it on television and then they come to church and they wonder, why isn't Robbie talking about this? Why isn't Robbie... Why isn't Robbie addressing this? Why isn't Robbie? Because I just refuse to lose it over the same stuff that the world is losing it over. There's a better way. It's an invitation into rest. Okay. So let me take a few minutes and try to, try to help you rest a little bit. Try to help you relax. I got in my car yesterday and, no, two weeks ago. And I, I got in my car and... I was, I was, before I got into my car after a basketball game, my son had been playing. Um, this father, Oliver, was really fouling a lot that day. To be honest, he was being really aggressive. And he probably had 10 fouls in the game. They, they called a fifth foul in overtime. I knew it was his fifth because I'm his dad, so I'm counting, right? But they're not taking him out of the game. They leave him in the game. And I'm like, okay, that's their, their, their bad. I'm not going to run up to him and tell him he's got five. Take him out. You know, that's not what I'm about. Like, <sighs> I'm not about that. This is your problem, not mine. Um, so I get, I'm walking to the car. And as I'm walking to the car, I'm joking with Oliver. I'm like, man, you were really aggressive today. You probably had three or four fouls. They didn't even call today. And this father of some other kid from the other team walking behind me says, yeah, he did. And I said, is the, is the devil? What, like, what is he? And I turn around, it's an actual person. And I'm like, oh, yeah, man. I'm, I thought at first he was being sarcastic. So I'm like, yeah, man, it, he, was, he was really aggressive today. Normally he's not that aggressive. That's crazy, right? And he goes, yeah, I counted eight in the first half. <laughs> said, cool, man, that's great. Inside, I'm like, you want to die today. Like, you woke up and chose to die. Like, it is appointed unto man, the Bible says, once to die. And after this, the judgment. This must be your appointment, bro. Because we just kept going on and on about it all the way to the car. And I'm, I get in the car and I look at my wife and I'm like, why does this matter so much to people? I don't remember one basketball game I played when I was 11. And these parents are out here acting like this is life or death. Like this game determines the rest of their children's life. And I look at Proverbs 14 and 30. I'm just like trying to say to the world, relax. Somebody lied to you when they told you if you'll just work really hard and pursue that American dream, you can have everything you want if you just work for it. 
your five foot eight child who never hit six foot is not going to the NBA. Listen to me. Our guy, Mac McClung, won the dunk contest last night. Mac is six foot two. He can jump through the roof and he's in the G League. I just came to tell some parents, Saturday afternoons are not that big of a deal. Relax. No, son, if you'll just work really hard and you, no, 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 listen, some things are an act of grace. You, you, you cannot look your little Johnny in the eye and say, if you'll just work as hard as LeBron James, one day you can be LeBron James. No, unless you're six foot nine and a freak athletically, you will never be LeBron James, little buddy. <laughs> and it gets embedded in us at an early age. If it's not happening for you, it's because you're not working hard enough. And we begin at a very young age to live a life contrary to the kingdom. It's not that you shouldn't work hard. It's not that you shouldn't practice. But the issue becomes when you think that your work and your effort is going to make the, the main difference in your life. When if anything good happens to you, you have to recognize that it happened to you because of the grace and the mercy and the kindness and the goodness and the gentleness and the faithfulness of God. If you have any talent, it came from God. If you have any ability, it came from God. And I look at a world that's standing up and screaming at the most ridiculous things like children's basketball games and I'm just like this world needs to relax relax John 6 and 10 we talked about this last week the disciples were tripping because the people were hungry and they didn't have anything to feed them and they're like we we don't know what to do we don't have enough money to feed all of these people we we don't we don't know what to do one of the disciples is like hey we've got a a little boy's lunch here. We could probably take care of a couple people. But considering the need, this is not enough. And Jesus tells the disciples and everybody there, he's like, tell everybody, please just sit down. Just sit down. There is a version of you that is only produced through rest. There are some things that you will never see God do for you until you stop trying to do them for yourself. And for many of us, the idea of fruitfulness and multiplication is avoiding us because we will not sit down. Jesus said, my presence, everything you need is here in my presence. Hmm. Let me read this portion of scripture to you, and I'm going to talk a little bit about Sabbath and rest. Hebrews 4, 6 through 11 says, Therefore, since it still remains for some of us to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. 
Watch this. God says, no longer is Sabbath a day of the week. Sabbath is today. Whatever today is, today is Sabbath. Sabbath is not about a day off on Saturday. Sabbath is not about a vacation. And if you only see Sabbath as a day off or a vacation, then you're missing the whole point of Sabbath. Sabbath is a person. His name is Jesus. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus stands up and he grabs the book of Isaiah and he reads from the book of Isaiah. Then he sits the book of Isaiah down and he looks at everybody. He says, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your eyes. Jesus is telling the world. And in Matthew eleven twenty eight, he's saying, he's saying, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. What Jesus is saying is I am the fulfillment of every Old Testament shadow. I am the man who makes the shadow. And if you only settle for rest as a day off, then you are settling for a shadow when you can actually have the man who made the shadow. And I think there are a lot of people in the room who are just like, man, I, I need, to, need a break. Sabbath is not a break. Sabbath is not a, it's not a day off. It's, it's a rest. It's in, we enter into his rest. He says, so today, this he did a long time later when he spoke through David as the passage is quoted. He said, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did rest from his. Let us therefore make every effort. If I'm going to make any sort of effort in my life to do anything, God says do it to enter into rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Why is a lack of rest such a threat? Because a lack of rest in Christ is an, is an indicator of pride. Pride is your inability to recognize your limits and acknowledge your dependence on God. Pride is the inability to recognize your limits and acknowledge our independence on God. Another reason we do it is because of fear. Trusting God with our limitations is frightening. We, we worry about what rest means for our identity. If I'm not working as hard as everybody else, if I'm not grinding like everybody else, then we worry about what this does for our identity, our reputation, our future. Because that means if, if, I'm, not, if I'm not doing all I can, it means that there are some things that I'm allowing to take, I'm, I'm allowing to leave my hands and I'm putting them in someone else's hands. And out of fear, we seek to control and manipulate every moment and opportunity, even if it means we're in violation of God's commands. So we, we refuse to rest because of pride. We refuse to rest because of fear. And we refuse to rest because we're selfish. In Exodus 23, we find out that rest is not just about you. Rest is about the people connected to you, the people and the things connected to you. The Bible says there, six days will you work, but on the seventh day you do not work. Why? So that your ox can rest. So that your servants can rest. So that the people around you can rest. Because if you aren't resting, then it's having an impact not just on you, it's having an impact on everybody else. Sir, I know you're trying to get it done, and I know you're trying to make it happen, but if you aren't resting, that is also impacting your wife and your children and the people connected to you. 
So rest, I used to think that rest was just a gift God gave me, but it's not just a gift God gave me. It's a gift that God gives me so that I can help the people around me. It's an opportunity for me to give a rest to the people that I'm leading and the people that are helping me. So observing the Sabbath is not all about you. Psalm 37 and 7 says, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. In other words, God is like, hey, I know you're going to struggle with rest because you're going to look around and you're going to look at the guy who's grinding and making it happen and you think he's blessed. You're going to look at the guy who's even doing illegal stuff and it seems like he's blessed and you are just sitting there waiting for me to supply, waiting for me to move, waiting for me to speak and it's going to seem like you should get out there and do what they're doing but don't get caught up in that trap, that trap that you have to keep up with them or you have to follow their pace or the whole world is ahead of you if you will just wait patiently on me I can do in a day what it would take you a thousand days on your own to do oh this is really good man I know this isn't the world we live in right now because the world we live in right now is like go get it I can sleep when I die yeah you're gonna die sooner rather than later Relax. Relax. Stop robbing God of an opportunity to help you. Remember we talked about money last week. We talked about tithe. And we asked the question, Malachi says, wherein would a man rob God in tithe and offering? You're not just taking what belongs to God. You're also taking from God the opportunity to open up a window and bless you. When you try to do it on your own, when you don't invite him in, when you don't ask for his help, when you don't wait on the Lord, when you try to move because you don't think it's happening fast enough in your life, you do what Abraham and Sarah did when God said, I'm going to bring a promise into your life. They're waiting like, God, this isn't happening. And they look at each other like, what can we do to make this happen faster? Because it doesn't seem like God's doing it quick enough. So that's, that's the disobedience that God is concerned about. He's less concerned about, you know, you smoking a cigarette or, or, or you know, or you're like going to a club. And, you know, I get, I get all of that. And all of that is not healthy for your life. But God is more concerned in the moments that you don't trust him and you try to move ahead of him than he is in those things that are also the result of not trusting him. That's what sin is. It's just an area of our life where we don't trust God. So God says, I don't want you to have sexual relationships outside of marriage. And when we do that, it's just, it's just us saying to God, I don't trust you. So I'm not going to wait for you to bring someone into my life. I'm going to go out and make this happen on my own. Okay, that's not very popular in 2023, but I don't really give a rip, you know. <laughs> Because I'm relaxed, dude. Some people are like, how do you say some of the stuff you say? Because I just don't care what people think. Like, I just don't anymore. If I cared, I would not be able to say anything up here. I'd be walking on eggshells like, which group of people am I going to offend today? Don't talk about that. 
they're here today. Don't say that. That person showed up. Don't go over there. Don't look in that direction. I'm going to look you right in your eyeball and tell you the Bible says that sex outside of marriage is a sin. All right. Praise the Lord. <laughs> uh, listen to me. Rest is what we do when we act like God is telling the truth all the time. The reason the Jews missed Jesus is because they refused to rest from their own efforts to save themselves. We, we've gotten this whole thing mixed up. We act like not sinning is this like ugh, willpower thing that we do. Just gonna keep my eyes closed. Why? So I don't lust, man. Just be lusting in these streets. I don't know <laughs> what to do out here in these streets. Okay. And a lot of Christians have this, they're they're awful to deal with because they're trying so hard to serve God. It's a rest. Why aren't you doing what everybody else is doing? Oh, I trust God to bring me a spouse. Why aren't you satisfying your needs like everybody? I trust God to do that in my life. <laughs> oh, man, it's a rest. It's a trust. It's like, and the reason the Jews miss Jesus, so many of them, is because they refuse to lay down their own efforts of salvation and pick up rest. They're like, it can't be like this. It can't be like, we trust you. And you save us. No, we've got to make sure that we are doing all of this to get saved. And Jesus is like, you have missed the point, man. I never even really, the law was never intended as a method of salvation. It was intended to keep you separate from the world, but you turned it into a means of salvation. And now you have put a burden on people that I never intended for the law to be in their lives. So that's why Jesus shows up and his initial message is, come to me. All who are weary and are laboring. And I will give you rest. He says, learn from me. He says, from my, I, I'm, I'm humble. He says, I'm meek. I'm not out here trying hard. You don't see me running anywhere. I've got three and a half years to fulfill the call of God on my life. And I'm just walking casually through crowds and stopping for women's with is, women with issues of blood. And walking over to a guy's house and just randomly sitting at his house having a meal. Because I am relaxed. Because I know what I'm doing is the of the Father and whatever I do in His name, He gives me power to do. I don't have to strive to do it. I don't have to struggle to do it. Even if it does take a long day, I'm doing it relaxed, man. It's not like Jesus wasn't out there working. Long days, up early in the morning, spending time with the Father. All day, meeting people, having meals, having conversations. Virtue, the Bible says, is flowing from his body. But you never see Jesus like, you know, man, I just feel so rushed, man. I just feel like there's not enough time in the day. I'm just stressed, man. You don't, you 
don't see it. The only see, time you see Jesus with any sort of anxiety in his heart, it's when it comes to the cross. And I would think every person in this room would have that same battle in the garden. But as you see Jesus just going through life, just walking, oh, virtue, hey, you're healed. Cool, all right. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, your eyes are open. Cool, yeah, um, you're saved. Awesome, be healed. He's never found teaching, doing a teaching series on healing. Five ways to receive your healing by Jesus. <laughs> He's never doing that. But if we're not careful, that's why Jesus said to the, to the Jewish people, he said, man, he said, you search the scriptures diligently trying to find me, but you never come to me. Even our Bible reading, if it doesn't lead to rest, it's pride. If our prayers don't lead to rest, then our prayers are prideful. Come on, man. I'm just, I'm trying to help you today. You, you are trying too hard. My son watched me play a video game one time, Oliver, and he looked at me and he said, Dad, you're so sweaty. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not perspirating at all. What are you talking about? He's like, you're a tryhard. I'm like, mm. and He's just sitting back like, and he's killing me every single time. I'm like, mm. you're so sweaty, Dad. Why are you trying so hard? It doesn't take all of that. And I just came to tell some people today, on a Sunday in the middle of February, it doesn't take all of that. It doesn't. I know that runs contrary to what the world is telling you right now. But it does not take all of that. Isaiah 30 and 15. Listen to what the prophet says. He says, in repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. He said, he said, I offered you repentance and rest. I offered you quietness and trust. But you didn't want any of it. He says, he says in verse 16, he says, so you go out and you, you try to jump on your horse and you try to be quick and you try to outrun your enemies. He says, but your enemies are going to be as fast as you. You try to be fast, they'll be faster. You try to be strong, they'll be stronger. God's like, I'm trying to save you, but you don't want my salvation. You want to save yourselves. <laughs> and that's what I came to tell some people today. I think so much of our, our refusal to relax, even, even in simple situations like a kid's ball game, has so much to do with that part of us that believes that somehow we are able to save ourselves. That somehow if we win this game, it redeems the rest of the week for us. If we win this, then all of that childhood trauma goes away. And fathers are living vicariously through their children. And they're raising up sons that, 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 that live this life like, oh my God, if I make a mistake, if I pass the ball to the wrong guy, if I shoot on the wrong hoop, if I dribble it the wrong way, then my dad is going to scream from me from the stands. And when we hear that God is a father, we, automatic, we automatically assume that God is up there looking at us the same way our dad was looking at us in the stands. 
I watch every week is these little kids screamed at by people on the sideline, screamed at by parents, by coaches on the sideline. Yeah, toughen them up. No, you're traumatizing children. Now, I'm not the guy that's like, hey, let's not keep score and let's have no competition. No, I want to compete. But it is not life and death. And we are taking things that are not life and death and making them life and death. No wonder this world is full of anxiety. No wonder people are walking in shopping malls and on job sites and on college campuses and in high schools and shooting each other up. Because they have, they have this weight of life that they cannot carry. It's a burden they were never intended to carry. They cannot be perfect. And everybody around them says they should be perfect. And it's causing such mental harm and mental health issues in our nation. We are a nation that has more money than any nation on earth. And we have some of the, some of the most jacked up people on earth. Because we're doing it to them. We raise them in a society that says, if you'll just work really hard, you can fulfill all of your dreams. If you'll just win this ball game, son, on Saturday, you could be Michael Jordan. It's like, oh, man, you are, you're, we are ruining the next generation because we don't know how to relax in the presence of our Father. Oh, man. And it shows up in our prayer lives. It shows up in your prayer life. It shows up in mine sometimes. I was thinking about this this week. I've got three kids that I've raised. They're, they're adults now. But I've got an 11-year-old son that's still living in my home. And I'm still trying to figure out how to do it. And I'm realizing so many of the things that I did with my older kids was just like, Wow. <laughs> messed up so at this point in their life I'm just spending a lot of times like and I'm sorry I blew that that was terrible and I'm praying for Oliver a few nights ago and I'm like God I just want to ask you please keep Oliver safe as he sleeps tonight and then when I prayed that for the first time God corrected me I was like whoa wait it was like I was like I heard it from heaven. That's not, that's not how I work. I'm like, what is he talking? I said, all I said was, please keep Oliver safe. And it was like, that's it. There is an assumption that I want. So you're, at, you're saying please to something I long to do. And this is where it shows up in our relationships. In Isaiah 30, 15, he goes on, he, or 30 and 18, he goes on to say, he goes, I long to bless you. He says, so if you want to be blessed, he says, just wait on the Lord. It's my desire to bless you. I thought about this just last night. I was telling Monica, I was like, Monica, you know something about Oliver is when we tell him to go to bed, he, he waits for one of us to take him to bed still at this point. But when we tell him to go to bed, he goes downstairs and he gets in his bed. You know what Oliver does not do? He does not lock any doors. He doesn't turn the alarm system on. He just goes to bed knowing that I'm going to protect him. It's my job to lock the doors, not his. And if you're not careful, what I'm inviting you into is an opportunity to see God as a real father that locks the doors for you.
That's why the Bible says he neither sleeps nor slumbers. He doesn't take a break from watching over you. He doesn't forget about you. You never leave his thoughts. So you don't have to beg him to do what he longs to do. And I think so many of us have missed what God is really trying to do in our lives because we are still trying to plead with him to protect us when he says, I do that because I'm your dad. Ask me for something else. like Matthew 6 he's like you keep tripping over what you're gonna eat what you're gonna wear he's like I'll give that stuff to you if you'll just seek me he's like ask me for something else and some of us are so trapped in our relationship with God that all we ask him for is to keep the lights on he said I just want to do that because I'm your dad ask me enter into rest ask me for something else I got to let you go. We're going to continue this thought. But Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your invitation to rest. Thank you that all the proving is over. I can work on my job this week from a place of rest because I don't have to prove anything to anybody. Doesn't mean I'm going to go from 60 hours to 40 hours. Maybe that's the case, but it all doesn't always mean that. It just means that I'm going to, whatever the hours I work, I'm going to work them with a different mindset. However I pray, I'm going to pray with a different mindset. I'm not going to ask you to do things that you long to do. My job as a new covenant believer is not working, it's receiving. Man, we're so bad at just receiving because we are so good at earning it. 